Turn with me this morning to Psalm 124. Psalm 124 is about the Lord, our Deliverer. We're going to read it together. You could think about the means. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters had overwhelmed us, the stream had gone over our soul, then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who had not given us a prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and the earth. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this public reading of the Holy Scriptures. We're going to have our act of remembrance. And brethren and sisters, it's my joy and honor today to be able to lead this act of remembrance on this uh, centennial of the signing of the armistice. And together we want to remember and reflect upon those who made the supreme sacrifice to purchase our free civil and religious liberty during World War I. We also remember all who fell in World War II. We want to remember, of course, the 57,470 that fell in the 1st of July, 1916. We do think of the 5,500 men from the 36th Ulster Division who died in that very first day of that famous, infamous battle. We also want to think today of the more than 3,500 people that were murdered in this province over 40 years of killing times. We would especially reflect on the fact that 335 of them were members of the Loyal Orange Institution. Do you know that during World War I and during World War II, something like 200,000 orange men from all over the world gave their lives in the defense of freedom and uh, our liberty? And we do want to also think especially about the local men from Carrie Duff, I suspect, of course, in the national records, it's the townland of Killineur. And we would think today about Samuel Gibson Lowe. His brother Edward Lowe read a little poem on his behalf that he sent home from the front to his mother yesterday in Killineur Gardens. We also want to think of Alfred William Patterson. And I'm told that his family owned Ferndale that the Lowe family now owns, and it was purchased by James Lowe's grandfather in 1901-1902. 
So, so we want to remember this morning and we, we want to think about um, all of these individuals in a collective sense. We're going to have the last post and at the last post then after it's finished we will uh, recite part of Binion's poem and I would ask that in the words we will remember then that all of us collectively will repeat that uh, statement. So we're, we're going to stand and uh, the last post is going to play and then we'll have Binion's poem and then we'll have a, a moment's silence, then the Rivala uh, will follow and then there's going to be the laying of the wreath by Brother William Smith. Brother William Smith served in the Royal Navy uh, from 1975 to 1981. He served in two ships, HMS Fearless and an assault ship and HMS Sheffield, a Type 42 destroyer. And he will uh, lay the wreath for us at the end. So, so let, let's stand together, please. They shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them or the years condemn. In the morning and at the going down of the sun, we will remember them. We will remember them.
When you go home, tell them of us and say, for your tomorrow, we give our today. Let's just remain standing for prayer. Eternal God and loving Heavenly Father, it's with thanksgiving that we call in thy name now, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we're really thankful for divine help and intervention to bring about the cessation of World War I in particular and World War II and subsequent conflicts since. Oh God, we thank thee for thy divine help and intervention. And we're so mindful now as we have stood for this act of remembrance of those who paid the supreme sacrifice. Lord, we think especially of the eight million dead in World War I. 21 million that were maimed and injured. We, we think today of those in the Royal British Legion who will be at the Cenotaph and back, who will be on parade. Remember them, Lord. Oh God, we thank thee for their bravery. We thank you, Lord, for their heroism. We, we ask thee to remember its patron, uh, Queen Elizabeth II. We commit her majesty to thee. And we pray that as this time as the nation remembers all who served in the British army, O oh God, all who served in the Merchant Navy, the Royal Air Force, all, all who served, O oh God, in the Royal Navy, all who were member of the Commonwealth Forces, and especially those that died and gave their lives in the cause of freedom, we say thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, O oh God, we pray that you'll help all who are injured, even as a result of uh, war and conflict uh, in the Commonwealth countries in particular, and help all who aid them, Lord, medically and bring about whatever assistance they can. We do think of the members of the Royal Ulster Constabulary, members of the Ulster Defence Regiment who were murdered in this province. Many, Lord, widows have never received true justice. They have no knowledge of those who carried out the deed or, or anything like that. You know the pain they carry in their heart. Many unsolved murders. And we cry unto thee that you might bring to light even the hidden things of darkness at this time. Lord, we look to thee too in Jesus' name that thou would visit this province again, visit our wee land. And as the nation is remembered today with gratitude and thankfulness, help us also to remember that there's a God in heaven with whom we have to do, a God who brings war to an end. And, O oh God, a God who can bring about peace, not only among men, but peace between themselves and himself. Lord, have mercy, we pray now. Accept our thanks even for this time together, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you today. Turn with me this morning in the Word of God to the book of Colossians, and I just want to read a couple of verses. Colossians chapter 1, we'll come to verse 12. Let's hear the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1, continue to read, of course, in the authorized verse. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Let's hear the Lord's word. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him are all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to recon re reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. We'll end the reading there at verse 21. We pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Let's have a short prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask thee in Jesus' name to accept these our gifts and tithes and offerings for the work of God. Pray you'll bless them. Be mindful, Lord, of all who are absent today. We think of Stanley, Cook, and Blackpool. Do remember, Lord, David McCullough as he recovers from the operation. You know all about him and his need. We think, too, of Gareth. Put your hand on him. Bless him and Emma and the children at this time. And, Lord, we think of others that are elderly, like of Elsie Scott that can't be here. Just bless and be with them. Someone work-related issues. Remember Joanna over in Miami today as he settles into a new place and a new environment. Give grace and help. And Lord, we look to thee now that you'll shut us into thee. Lord, come near, bless us, minister to us as we turn to thy word for the next 25, 30 minutes. We pray, Lord, you'll, you'll draw strangely near. You'll make your presence a felt reality and you'll speak to all our hearts at this time. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Now, my text today is taken from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And my theme this morning is the true pathway to peace. Today marks the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. It's known as Armistice Day. Armistice Day is commemorated every year on the 
11th of November to mark the formal cessation of hostilities between the Allied forces and the German forces. It was signed at Compagne in France. It took effect at 11 o'clock on the 11th day of the 11th month. And it signaled in reality the end of World War I. World War I lasted four years, three months, and 14 days. And it ceased on the 11th of November, 1918. That brought to an end the cessation of hostilities on the Western Front. The armistice initially expired after a period of 36 days. And a broader peace agreement was reached in the Treaty of Versailles the following year. The 11th of November ever since has been a national holiday in France. The first Armistice Day was held in Buckingham Palace when King George V held a banquet in honour of the President of the French Republic in 1919. And from that day to now, People all over the world have observed, like we did this morning, a two-minute silence. They do it at 11 a.m. local time on the 11th of November, and they do it as a mark of respect to remember all who fell in the war. Not only World War I, but World War II and subsequent conflicts. And be mindful of those that were injured and maimed and disabled and are left physically and and psychologically traumatized as a result of the war. In the United Kingdom, after the outbreak of World War II, some 21 years later, Armistice Day was moved to the nearest Sunday to November the 11th in order not to interfere with work production should the November the 11th fall on a work day. And it stayed that way after the war. And the majority of the uh, British Commonwealth countries moved their Armistice Day to the nearest Sunday to the 11th of November. And like us, they do that to commemorate the two world wars and all subsequent conflict since. So so on this day, this Remembrance Sunday that just coincides with the uh, first signing of the Armistice Day, a hundred years on from that day, we, we want to return our thankfulness to Almighty God for his divine intervention, for his divine help in bringing a war to the end. We read there in Psalm 124, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us. You see, it was God who brought the hostilities to an end. And today we want to think of the dead who have fallen. World War I, World War II. We, we salute the brave men and women of our armed forces who made the supreme sacrifice that we today can enjoy political, civil, and religious freedoms. It's interesting, at the outbreak of World War I, the British author H.G. Wells called it the war to end all war. It was known as the Great War. 
Uh, but this is the war that's going to end every other war in the world. Now, that was foolish talk. That was man's puny wisdom that was speaking. That was a forlorn hope, wishful thinking of natural man. See, the phrase was coined by a, a man, even a British man, who didn't know the depth, not only of his own depravity, but the depths of man's total depravity without God. For as I've already told you, within 21 years, the whole world was plunged once more into a tremendous conflict. A conflict even more deadly and more bloody a war so fierce and deadly that up to 60 million people died between 1939 and 1945. And even to this day, the men and women of our armed forces have been called upon to make that supreme sacrifice in order to maintain the rule of law against terrorism and bring hope and safety to a terror-stricken society. And in this very province, we think of the brave men of the former Royal Ulster Constabulary, the Ulster Defence Regiment. We think about the uh, PSNI officers. We think about the British armed forces in other parts of the Iraq and Afghanistan and other parts of the Middle East. And we do acknowledge that we live in a world where there's an ongoing struggle against evildoers and against terrorists. We, we do acknowledge that these terrorists are inspired by the devil. They're, they're sin-laden men and women seeking to take from others their basic freedom and way of life. And I, I just wonder this morning... Do we really appreciate just how good the Lord has been to us as a nation and as a people? And despite the present threat from our traditional enemies, God has allowed us again today to enjoy the right to free assembly, the right to freedom of conscience, freedom of speech, expression, the right to an open Bible, our free civil and religious liberty. These are great freedoms. And we remember, of course, in World War I and World War II that dictators and fascists and institutions have arisen during not only these years, this past hundred years, but this past 500 years and more, and have tried to take these freedoms from us. And yet the Lord in mercy, in love and grace, has allowed us the freedom to assemble every Lord's Day for worship. We, we enjoy to a good degree political freedom in our democratic society. And uh, we do acknowledge that people are called upon to uphold the rule of law. We say none, none is above the law. All men are equal under the law. And as I've said, these are great privileges. These are blessings. And we should never, ever take them for granted. And that's why it's important that every year we, we at least have an act of remembrance and we think not only about the fallen and, and those that are bereft of loved ones. And we, we think not only of those that were maimed, but, but, but we also think of God's help and God's intervention. Oh, oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy past and our eternal home, as you've just said. Now today, I have chosen as my theme the pathway to true peace. 
Because, you see, a hundred years ago, on the 11th of November, at the 11th hour, the armistice was signed. And it really was about a peace deal. It it was to bring about an end to the armed conflict. And we do acknowledge that war is a terrible thing. The scourge of any society should be avoided at all costs. And today, of course, the, the nations of the world, no doubt, would support calls for peace. And we've had peace rallies in our own province. And that made me think about the path of peace. What is peace? What do we mean by peace? Is it just an end of hostility? You see, the, the peace that the world talks about and the world offers is, is merely an absence of armed conflict. And it often leaves the causes of the conflict unresolved, only for that cause to grow and fester and boil up and over, and another conflict breaks out at a later time. But I'm thinking this morning of the true pathway to peace. And and if you look at our text, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now think about two or three things this morning. Think about the pursuit of peace. Why did they have an armistice day in the first place? A hundred years ago. Why was there a peace deal in the table to be signed? And the answer is very simple. It presupposes a conflict. The need to make peace presupposes a conflict. It, it, it speaks about the existence of war. And, and, and that's why the armistice was signed, young people, on the 11th of November, 1918. It was to bring an end to the war. You, you want to think about the start of the war. 28th of July, 1914. It started with a single shot. The the murder of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria and plunged the world into World War I. Started with a single shot. We want to think about the sacrifice of World War I. Eight million dead. Twenty-one million wounded and maimed. And out of the six million of the British army forces that went to fight in the Western Front, seven hundred thousand died. And the heaviest loss, of course, of the British army in July the 1st was at the Battle of the Somme when 57,470 men died. And as I've already said, we have to think about the brave men of the 36th Ulster Division. On the 1st of July, 1916, over the top, shouting no surrender, many with their collarettes on, and 5,500 died. It's important we remember that sacrifice. It's important that we remember the lives lost. So what I'm saying this morning is that that peace was sought. Peace was desired. Peace was wanted. Peace was pursued because of the hostility of the war. As I already said, when you think of the subject of war, war is a terrible thing. Scourge of any society. Be avoided at all cost if it's necessary. At times it's necessary. World War I, we believe, was a just war. And there was a time when God made inquisition for blood in relation to that war. 
When I read these words, Colossians 1.20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, I, 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 I thought immediately of why there was a need for peace in the first place. And the answer is because of a spiritual warfare in our hearts and minds. Because of a, a spiritual conflict between God and man. Look with me at the context here. Colossians 1.21. He's just mentioned having made peace through the blood of his cross to reconcile all things by himself, unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, so he's writing to the Colossians now. He's thinking about real people in real time. First century, Gentiles who lived in Colossae. And you that were sometimes, notice these words, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now hath he reconciled. There was the need to make peace. Why? Because these people were alienated from God. That is, they were strangers to him. They were not in a right relationship with him. They they had no knowledge of him. They they were not worshipping him as the living and the true God. They, They were not loving God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. They did not know him. These uh, Colossian people, these Gentiles, maybe thought, well, you know, we're not too bad. We're good, decent people. We're upright. We're respectable. But, but think of this word. And you that were sometime alienated. He's thinking about their past. Alienated. That, that, that means that they were cut off from God. They, they were no knowledge of him. And he adds to the picture. If you look at the text, verse 21, and the enemies in your mind. Now now think of that. These people were not thinking right. They had a a carnal, fallen, sinful mind. They had no thought of God. God was not in all their thoughts. They had left God out of the picture. They had forgot that Daniel said, but there's a God in heaven. You see, there's no such thing as being neutral, sitting in the fence, following the foolishness of their own lusts and nature. These people were far away from God in their thinking. They they were really fighting against him in their heart and mind. They were not only saying no God, as far as existence is concerned, and living without him, but but it was no God in a mindset of rebellion toward him. Because he adds, look at the words, and enemies in your mind, by wicked works. Now now think of that, as you think, as you talk, your thinking affects your manner of living. See, these people were really in a rebellion. The Bible says there's no peace to the wicked. And why did they need peace? Because they were formerly in a state of rebellion in their heart and minds to God. They were strangers to him. They were enemies in their mind. Their thinking was wrong. And they were displaying wicked works against God and against law. And I want to tell you in that condition. And this is what Paul means when he writes to these Colossian people. God is offended by the fact that you're a stranger. That your enemies in your mind by wicked works. God's heart is grieved. And even if you decide it now, well, you know what? We're going to change course. We'll get a new suit. We'll get the haircut and we'll be nicely shaved. And we'll start going to church. We'll start reading our Bible and we'll start praying. 
And you know what? I'll decide to turn over a new leaf. God would still be offended. God would still be grieved because of past sin and guilt. There was a man in Coleraine many years ago called uh, Mr. Um, Love. Uh, he, he was a lovely big man. I, I knew Leonard very well. And Leonard started coming when I was just converted into the Coleraine Congregational Church. There was a, a lovely man there called um, Reverend Colin McFarland, a Belfast City missionary. And whenever uh, Leonard came in and, uh, and he sat there in the pew and started listening to the, the service, he, he came in uh, this Sunday with a new suit on. The hair was cut. He was nicely shaved. He told us he started reading his Bible uh, and he started to pray. Uh, and, and he thought that by doing these things, that's how one become a Christian. Uh, and and it, it was a shock to him that God was still offended by his sin. He was desiring uh, uh, to turn over a new leaf, to change. He, he stopped cursing and stopped drinking and stopped smoking. But it was a shock to him to learn that God was still offended. Offended by his lifetime of sinning. Uh, offended by the guilt and pollution of sin that, that he had already stacked up. Now, how do you find peace if God is offended? If God is grieved with your sin, how could you, a sinner, then be, be reconciled to God? Let me ask this morning, do, do you feel the sickness of your sin? When you're sick, you want to go to the doctor. You'll take the doctor's medicine. Well, it's the same with God. God wanted these Colossians to, to confess, Lord, I'm a stranger. Lord, I've been wrong in my thinking. Lord, I've been guilty of wicked works. And Lord, I, 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 I'm ceasing from my rebellion. Lord, I confess that I'm a rebel. And I want to be right. The pursuit of peace. I want you to think quickly and secondly about the plan for peace. Thinking of the words here, verse 20, look at it very carefully. And having made peace. Okay? Do you see that? Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him, that's in Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell and having made peace through the blood of his cross. You see, it was God the Father that intervened and took the initiative and it's God the Father that maketh peace. See, God hates sin, remember. God is angry with the wicked every day. God is holy, uh, too holy to regard iniquity. He's of pure eyes and to behold uh, iniquity. Uh, and God must punish the wicked. Do you know that God also had a plan to be gracious, to display mercy? And God took steps to implement a plan for peace. To bring peace to troubled souls. And that peace had to be made. You see, at the end of World War I, the, the, the German army was virtually destroyed. Germany lay in tatters and in bits and broken down. And there was a push by its generals to have peace. God made peace. God found a way and God's way was through the work of the cross. It's true this morning God is angry with the wicked every day. It's true that God is offended because of every sin, every guilt uh, of sin, every transgression of sin. But it's also true that God made peace. 
through the blood of his cross. Think of that. You have sinned. You're a stranger to him. Your thinking's wrong. No God. You live without God. You're guilty of wicked works. And yet God wants to make peace with you. Peace with God. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You you can have the peace of God in the midst of your troubles. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Are you this morning on the broad road of life, living your life out without God as a sinner, with no hope and no knowledge of Christ? And yet this amazing God, this this holy God, this God of wrath who hates sin, this God has devised means whereby you can be reconciled to him, where you can be at, at peace with him. That's why we read in the Bible, John 3 and 16, if you listen to it very carefully, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was God who so loved. And God so loved you because he doesn't want you to perish. And the making of peace was rooted in God's wonderful love. And we can sing the hymn, Love Lifted Me. And big Leonard Love came to sing that lovely hymn, Love Lifted Me. But when he discovered how he could truly become a Christian and be brought into a right relationship with God. God hates sin. He must punish sin because he is holy. He doesn't take delight in the punishment of the sinner. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. A God of eternal wrath, a a, a God uh, who has revealed that hell is real. And remember, it's a real place for the punishment of sinners, a a place of outer darkness, a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth uh, for those who do not repent and believe the gospel. And, And yet God wants people to be reconciled to him. God wants them to enter into a relationship with him. It was God who made the peace. A peace treaty, a peace covenant. Now, Now notice very quickly, Not only the plan for peace, but notice the price for peace. It was through the blood. And that's a reference to Christ. And when it says through the blood of his cross, I want you to think about the the, the birth. I want you to think about the life. I want you to think of the offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. I want you to think about his work as the mediator of the new covenant. There must be a focus on his person. There, There must be brought into mind his functions as a priest. He is the priest. He is the sacrifice. He makes the voluntary offering. And think about the finalization of his work. Remember in the cross, what was one of his cries? It is finished. And when we think about the power and virtue and value of the blood, we can never isolate that or separate that from his person. The the power and value of the blood is always linked to his person and the office that he held as mediator of the new covenant. The Bible says, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. And what did he offer? He offered himself to God. Not a lamb, not a dove, not a bull, not a goat. He offered himself. And the blood that he shed, we believe, of course, is supernatural blood. It's the blood of the God man. And that's tied into the context here. Because we we read, um, who is the image of the invisible God? 
Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, God incarnate. And he's the true and ultimate peacemaker. And he did it through the shedding of his blood. The Bible says in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And if you think about the darkness there in Mount Calvary, when the Lord Jesus hung from noonday to 3 p.m., and it was thick darkness, it was felt darkness, it could be seen for miles around. What was God doing in those three hours? God was pouring out his wrath upon his son. God was making his son to be the sin bearer of all who would trust him as Lord and Savior. God was making his son to be a sacrifice. And if you think about the burnt offering, the fire fell upon it. And the fire of God's wrath fell on Christ. And as God made his soul an offering for sin, he was, through the shedding of his blood, he was providing and making peace so that redemption could become a reality. We have to thank God for that supernatural, special, sacred blood. And one final thing. I want you to think about the purpose of peace. If you look at our text, it says, to reconcile all things unto himself. If you think of verse 21, and you that were sometimes alienated in enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. When we think about reconciliation, we think about the transformation of a relationship. Think about two sides at war. And then they come together and they agree terms for peace. And there's a transformation takes place. There's a cessation of hostilities. There's a, a new dispensation, a new relationship. God the Father, through God the Son, accomplished means by the shedding of Christ's blood, whereby reconciliation could occur. Where sinners who are strangers to him, who, who are wrong in their thinking, who are guilty of wicked works, can be reconciled to him. You've got to think of Christ and the cross. You've got to think of his precious shed blood today. You, you've got to think of God's way of peace. You, you've got to think of its means and effects. It means God wants to reconcile you to himself. Could I just ask this morning, are you conscious of your need to be reconciled to God? Have you confessed that you're a rebel? That you need to be in a right relationship with God? Do you have a longing in your heart for peace? Peace with God. Has God called you to repent? Because part of true reconciliation is repentance. And as I've told you before, it's not enough even for a terrorist in our land to say he's murder, guilt, or sorry for planting a bomb or, or, or taking the, the, the life of a member of the security forces or, or, or an innocent victim. It's not enough to say, I'm sorry. There has to be true and genuine repentance. What I did was wrong. It was evil. It was wicked. And I repent of that. I repudiate that now. And I'll take all steps that I can to be, to be um, at, at least um, reprehative towards other individuals. And this, this is all ties into the great hope of the gospel. Do you know, I, I want to finish this morning. You'll be glad to hear that. But, but I, I'm thinking as we finish, the first day of the Battle of the Somme, 
a young man, 20 years of age from Lurgan, called uh, William McFadgen. And he was responsible for bringing munitions to the various men along the trenches. And he was getting a box of grenades down, maybe high up, and, and he was lifting them, and they fell. And as they fell, two of the grenades fell out of the box, and two pins came out. There were soldiers all around him. Now, the young man knew exactly what that meant. There was going to be an explosion. Lives were going to be lost. And you know what he did? To save others, he threw himself on top of those grenades. And of course his body was blown to bits. I think there was another man injured, maybe just one other soldier killed along with him. But for that act of bravery, that young man was offered the Victoria Cross. The Bible tells us, remember, greater love have this than a man lay down his life for his friends. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't give his life for his friends. He gave his life for his enemies. Those without strength, enemies to God, sinners against him. Heirs of divine wrath and hostility. And yet through his blood, peace has been made. So that you could be reconciled. God demonstrated his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You think this morning about the true pathway to peace. The pursuance of it because of war. Think about the plan. Think about the price, because there's always a price for peace. What price was there for peace at the end of World War I? Eight million dead and 21 million wounded. And hundreds and thousands of other lives traumatized. You think about the purpose. And ask yourself, am I in a right relationship with God this morning. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to our hearts at this time today. We're going